Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit AuditBoard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Today we have Shelby Veens on the show. Shelby's the internal control supervisor at Arbon. Uh, if you haven't heard of Arbon, it's an e-commerce based um, business with product lines that include vegan skincare, cosmetics, and nutrition. So if that's an area of interest uh, for you, then be sure to check it out. And so because Arbon is uh, e-commerce based, um, one of the primary topics that we talk about, especially to kind of kick off the show, is finding e-commerce fraud, um, which is a, a piece that Shelby does and, and doing that through machine learning. And we've talked about machine learning a little bit on the show, but haven't gone through really any depth or any examples of how to use it. So Shelby walks us through machine learning, uh, a machine learning example and how they're using it at Arbon. We also talk about this idea of agility within control remediation. Um, and so instead of just doing the hey, you know, auditee, this is, you know, the control that needs to go in place. They go, yeah, we'll put it in place. And you go, great, we'll see you in three months and test it out. And then something going wrong or it not living up to the expectations it was supposed to, or it just becoming way too cumbersome um, when maybe another solution could have been uh, the fix. Um, Shelby takes a lot of pride in working with the business to get kind of the best fit control so that it's not a huge burden um, but also mitigates the risk. So uh, we, we go in depth on that topic um, and then also talk about just root cause analysis and kind of Shelby's approach to that. So um, Shelby is always looking to expand her audit network. So we've included a link to her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. Um, so please reach out to Shelby and um, get to know her. She was fantastic to have on the show. I'm sure you can, you can feel the energy and her enthusiasm for audit. So uh, definitely someone uh, worth reaching out to to connect with. All right, here we go. So you're using machine learning, a machine learning tool uh, to predict fraud on the e-commerce side. And just, I, I, we haven't had that as a topic yet. So I thought that'd be very interesting. Yeah. You- I, so let me walk through a high level overview of what it does. So um, first started with my team analyzing the data and, and developing rules that mirror fraud patterns. So, um, you know, a few things about machine learning in general. So we pass a lot of fields to this automated solution and it ranks and scores every transaction based on risk. So it takes all of the pieces of the data. So 
um, credit card, the bin, the transaction type, what type of customer, the sponsor, their name, all types of location of the device, location of where the shipping and billing activity is. And it basically categorizes it based on risk and it, it develops a two different types of scores. One is an omni, so like a whole bunch of data points that make up a risk score. And then another one is a very limited data point. So a, four, a rolling 14 day period. So, you know, it's called persona. So the persona of that activity versus the omni all activity against that, against that billing information. And so it scores it based on risk and you use those values to write your rules. So if it's, if the persona or the identified risk for this transaction is below what would be expected of our customers, we add additional criteria to that rule that tells the machine how to make an informed decision. So if the persona is highly suspicious and the email address is brand new or auto-generated, certain type of order then decline that transaction yeah um it's not perfect so it's definitely possible to decline legitimate activity um and those are known as false positives of course so you enter that information into the tool and it adjusts its decisions based on that activity it also pulls in chargeback activity so you know true measure of fraud would be chargeback so customers who identify illegitimate transactions and call their bank um, so it takes all of that information into account and adjusts its decisions based on that too. Perfect. I think you nailed that. And you're not necessarily a, um, like a machine learning, you, you haven't, you didn't develop the algorithm or anything to that, no. effect, right? But you understand the rules and, and then how they apply. Right. So it's truly just understanding your business, understanding normal purchasing patterns that your customers tend to do, and then writing rules based on that and using both counts machine learning, the, the results of the tool and your knowledge of the business to make informed decisions. Like I said, it, it's definitely a revenue deterrent tool. So I do have some customers who don't like me because their <laughs> transactions continue to get declined because they have very suspicious purchasing behaviors. Um, customers who have a lot of orders in a really small period of time is not normal purchasing patterns. So right. instances where for example, a lot of our activity at month end is very, very heavy. So I have, I can have different sets of rules depending on the time of the month. So for example, velocity settings during the first three weeks of the month can be reflective of normal purchasing patterns during that time period. But for the last week of the month or for the last four or five days of the month, I kind of have to adjust my strategy knowing that our purchasing patterns heavily increase those last few days. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you crushed that description. Um, yeah. We've built uh, the same or similar on like for P cards. And so we'll take their like policy. Oh my gosh, so fun. The, the, we'll take the company's policies, um, which basically are like a good starting point for the rules. So like if you're building this yourself, you can go to the policies, um, yeah. at least for internal, you're talking more on the external side, uh, your customers, uh, doing something fraudulent and so this would be more internal like employees doing something fraudulent on a p card um but the policies right, are so like our fraud program captures both so i definitely okay. have active monitoring happening for internal activity right so activity from customer service agents individuals who are in accounts payable um phishing attempts like there's different types of fraud so like our my biggest focus over the past year has been e-commerce external fraud credit card fraud identities being stolen and those credentials being used to purchase our products yeah. um but we've definitely worked on our internal fraud management solution 
it's not automated, but definitely working on different types of dashboards that can give us that oversight that otherwise, you know, your analytics would do for a P card review. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, so we took a similar approach. So you just line up so rules or, or I call them tests or, or controls and like you test 30 of them and you risk rank them, stack them all up, give them a score. And there's a few more uh, statistical pieces uh, that go into it to, to get like the ultimate score. But then you take those and, and label them as like you do your investigation and say, okay, this one was fraud. You mark it as fraud. This one wasn't, you mark it as not fraud. This one was and so on. And then over time, that's where you can apply the machine learning model to say, hey, based on historical frauds that we've had, tell me which one in this new set, this new month's worth of P-card activity, tell me which ones you think machine learning algorithm, tell me which ones you think are fraud. Um, and then you start to get it at a higher, a higher rate as far as like nailing it down. So um, but what would be an example of that? So if I have a P-card policy that says you're not allowed to bank food purchases that exceed $100. And so you would have all of those transactions that hit that key card and say, please tell me every single time that the merchant is a food or, you know, a restaurant. And every time that that value exceeds $100 and yeah. then error out or give me the results of how often this is happening against that P card or how often this is happening dependent on apartment. Basically, yeah. is that what you're saying? Yeah. And so what yeah. we do that when we would say, you know, we talk, we'd work with the business and say, how, how, how big of a risk is that type of transaction on a scale of one to 10? And they, you know, well, you know, it's kind of a big deal. It's a seven. Um, so we'll say, okay, every time we see that happen, that rule hit, we score that transaction a seven, and then we're going to run that same transaction through another 29 tests and do the same thing so that on the other end, like when it's all done, um, you have a score of 75 or whatever, 76, whatever, for that one transaction. And then again, there's two other scoring pieces that go into the calculation, but you do those two other pieces and you get this final score for that one transaction and you can pinpoint it that way. And then after you get the results of all that, you have all this other data that you can work with. So you can aggregate it by employee. So you can be like, okay, yeah. one employee has the overall highest risk score relative to their transactions. And um, you can kind of just like hammer down on that one employee. And that's the employee piece. Does that necessitate fraud or lack of compliance? So like, you know, you dance along the line of, okay, they continue to like, a, like my example, purchase food or meals that exceed a hundred dollars. I, you know, at some point, does your value indicate fraud or lack of compliance or suspicious activity, right? So, yeah. you know, all of the algorithms together, does it determine fraud or other implications that can be used to change a policy or implement oversight or analysis on a regular basis so this individual or department doesn't continue to manipulate the system? Yeah, and then so you cut it up based on department, based on individual. Yeah. And you can look at each individual test or control or rule, the results of those and say, um, hey, okay, in this one department, we see where this one control is, is um, it's being overlooked or they're not adhering to it or whatever. And so we need to go talk to that one department. It's a departmental issue. Like clearly they didn't see the training or they don't know the rule or what. So it's, it's a combination of compliance um and yeah that's definitely so, so i i i reviewed the tne policy this morning because hr really wanted to update it so it's just top of mind so that's why i'm quizzing you i've, I've been asked recently to uh do a quarterly or biannual uh, p card review because um it's not odd activity i just think that people don't really understand what the p card is truly for 
So it's, you know, part educational and them understanding what the policy says, but also have we really set them up for success on following what's allowed. So is the policy bit too vague and individuals don't really know what should be on the P card? Um, does the policy need to be really, really specific or divided by a department that gives them clarity on what's authorized and what's not authorized, like yeah. creative spend on a P card and I don't even know, procurement or um, IT spend on a, on a P card are, are totally different things, right? So IT is testing transactions. They have to use a credit card. So they use that credit card to help mitigate some of the e-commerce bugs and things like that or website bugs. But, you know, creative spend is rental equipment or buying access to photos. So I, I think, you know, just like from my perspective and what I concluded from my review is I, I don't think it's specific enough. So people can get caught in lack of compliance of, the, of a P-card policy, but do we really set them up for success in following it if we have some big verbiage or stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. yeah, and the other side of that is if it's too too, it's too specific and it's too granular, it's too large, it's like, hey, you expect me to know all these rules, you know, like. Right, or they can't conduct business like in an agile manner. Yeah. They can't be adaptable. They can't make those purchases because as much as I love accounts payable, I prefer most of that spend go through there because we have match process and there's a lot more against controls over that compared to P cards. Um, the business units have to be able to make those independent decisions or ad hoc purchases that aren't necessarily required to go through accounts payable, but should definitely deserve some oversight and review of what's yeah. going on. Um, so I, I'm, I'm working to develop a better policy that kind of streamlines clarity on what's allowed on a P card and what's not. Yeah. Um, and right. then you dance with, well, should it be paid for up front or can it be put on the P card? And so you have that lack of clarity for employees who they're not really sure if they're supposed to pay for it out of pocket and request reimbursement for it later or if it can just be thrown on a P card. So, yeah. I don't know. Just top of mind today. So hitting really home. <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We want to say thank you again to our sponsors over at Audit Board, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. Audit Board's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with Audit Board's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see Audit Board's award-winning platform in action today. I know I wanted to talk about this, this concept that we talked about, the uh, agility of control remediation. So I just wanted to like throw yeah. that topic out there and then let you run with it because I thought it was uh, an interesting, interesting way to describe it. Yeah, so since my time, so I, I switched from being the internal auditor to being the auditee. So taking all of my knowledge and expertise from being the internal auditor, being the external person coming into another organization and auditing all of those controls. And um, now I'm focused on control implementation. Um, so, you know, what, what I noticed from starting with my current company is that it, it, it's gonna be a true culture shift. Um, so it starts with really educating the business about why controls are really important mm -hmm. and what they do to serve the business and how they protect both the process owners and the company as a whole and our vendors and everyone like that it, it protects all of our assets and it doesn't just have to involve money it can involve different types of assets intangible assets 
and employees are assets. So I want them to understand that implications behind controls are not because I'm the company cop and I want you to follow all the rules, but rather I want you to be protected and I want you to follow the process because it protects you and, and our client. So um, with that comes with, well, I'm requesting them to follow all of these processes, but how do I set the business units up for success and following them? Are they cumbersome to follow? Do they take forever to do? So if controls aren't reasonably easy to implement or use, business units aren't gonna follow them. So how do I adjust what I know the results of the audit are going to be and implement controls that set the business units up for success in an agile, adaptable manner? So we can't always have planned spend. So how can I implement certain controls that endorse following the rules, endorse having controls in place, but allow the business units to make informed decisions in a really agile, quick, adaptable manner where they, they aren't held up because the controls exist, but rather they are set up for success and our risk is mitigated because they follow the controls. And yeah. so that's been the biggest challenge for me. And, and you also talked about like working with the business throughout the remediation process instead of um, here's the report. Um, I know we both agreed this is, you know, what the, the remediated control is going to look like. Um, all right, we'll see you in six months, you know, kind right. of thing. And, and so I know you, you've, you almost like go out of your way to, to work with them along the implementation of the control uh, because of a finding to make sure that it is not cumbersome to them or that there's, you know, maybe a different strategy should be taken or something to that effect, right? Yeah, so I already generally know what the internal audit results are going to be. I, I know what controls are broken, but it's more about how do I communicate in a way with, where the business units are heard about their challenges? Like I'm okay to follow them. It's not lack of willingness to follow internal controls. They want to do the right thing. They want to do what's in the best interest for the business, but it's more about listening to what challenges they have and reasons why they haven't been able to achieve compliance or haven't been able to achieve following all of the controls. So it's more of, yeah, I, here's the result. I can tell you every time that sometimes reviews of documentation don't happen before things get signed or we don't always have certain controls in place before, before something gets paid. But have we really implemented controls that are easy enough to follow? And I'm not saying controls should be easy, but they should be relatively user-friendly yeah. where the buy-in is, is already there. The challenge is it takes too much time yeah. or it's so cumbersome to follow them or our systems don't work well together. So we have all of these manual backup processes because our systems are kind of broken. Yeah. Um, so it's really taking the results of the audit and saying, okay, obviously this is broken, but why is it broken? What is the issue? <laughs> so so to, to segue from that, so we're talking about like why. And so the other thing that I thought was interesting is the, uh, like your process for root cause analysis um, yeah. is something. So I'd be interested to know like kind of what your process is and, and relative to root causes and, and like identifying that. Because I feel like that is something that I've even seen some people suggest like internal audits should not be determining the root cause. Um, sure. and that was so, you know, you definitely dance a really fine line between objectivity and subjectivity. So as, as a person who's been on the internal audit side, you know, keeping your objectivity is really important, but 
it, it, it can't always work like that. There are subjective things against controls or reasons why controls are broken that are subjective for every business unit. So um, to be honest, what I do is I, I hear every business unit out and then work to develop processes on an individual basis that cater to their needs. So processes for IT and processes for marketing and creative and processes for the warehouse or the manufacturing plant, they can't all be the same. They have to follow the same controls, but how they achieve compliance has to be completely different depending on what their needs are. So hearing them out saying, hey, I, I found out this issue, you know, you're, you're having challenges follow this, why aren't you doing it? Mm -hmm. And how can we set you up for success or develop a process on an individualistic basis that achieves compliance in the long run. Um, things aren't perfect. So it takes time. It takes like a mental shift to have that willingness to comply with controls. So for me, it's more about how do I hear out each different need? Because again, the controls are the same, but the needs aren't the same. Yeah, that's so interesting. How do we take the results of the remediation plan and implement that on an individualistic basis? But technically they all have the same controls. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard heard it put like that before. Usually it's like, let's have the, the centralized policy that covers everything and then we're good. Mm -hmm. um, but thinking about, yeah, but even maybe even the, the cultures or within a given department are so different. Um, well, their spend is different. So yeah, yeah. if I'm working on if I'm working on implementing an invoice review practice, so every time you get an invoice, you don't just blindly send it to accounts payable and ask them to pay it, right? There has to be some sort of control in place that compares a contract or the quote or whatever we're we obligated with that vendor to spend. And so let's take freight, for example, reviewing freight invoices versus reviewing a photographer invoice or reviewing um, services from IT. All of those are required different review processes. So working with each unit and saying, okay, IT, you have generally these types of expenses. What can we implement together that achieves compliance and comfort that what we're paying is what we agreed to pay? And they're not manipulating the system. Vendors aren't overcharging us. Um, making sure that that step is taking place, but it's not the same for every unit, right? Yeah. So like photography, for example, in a creative, that's by hour, that's not by usage. What if it's rental equipment? Like every, <laughs> every process has to be just a little bit different. And so, we can't just have a blanket policy like you must follow this. How do we get them to follow it? How do we encourage them to follow it? Yeah, that's good. Like I said, I hadn't heard that before. So I appreciate that answer. So I have essentially I have a list of controls that are given from my parent company. And they say these are our, our highest priority. So we take what the parent company tells us, which ultimately becomes our highest priority. But how do I address those controls in a very strategic way. So um, I'm trained to conduct a high level risk assessment on the key controls. They're called key controls. So mm -hmm. controls from my parent company that they say, without a doubt, these have to be implemented. And so I take that information and I go, okay, this is like 150 controls. So how do I even go about one, measuring what's most important according to my company? That's my parent company. They have five or six subsidiaries. So one, what's the highest risk according to my risk appetite, but also what do the executives care about? Um, so I'm trying to merge um, what I know about controls and what I know about the business mm -hmm. to develop a strategy on how to 
implement updated controls that my parent company needs, but in a really strategic way. So um, it's been a very interesting risk assessment attempt, but um, definitely having some challenges, really backing into conducting a risk assessment that does add value, that's not vague, that mm -hmm. says, yeah, this is likely to happen, maybe impact could be big, I don't really know. Um, it's more about how do I go about analyzing the things that I know and the things that I don't know to make a really informed decision on my strategy for control implementation. Um, so that's not a call. That's just like something that I like openly am struggling, like having challenges with. I'm like, I don't know what the best course of action is. Um, I know what I ultimately want as a result. And I know that I can fumble through to get to the end, um, but expertise on how to put my best foot forward and taking this information. So. I don't have to, I don't have to achieve hundred percent compliance. So if I'm just shooting for 50%, what should that 50% really be? Mm -hmm. um, and developing a review strategy and implementation of those controls. So that's just like something I'm working on and I guess spinning my wheels a little bit. <laughs> Actively, I, I'm really, really passionate about internal audit, internal controls, risk management, um, I think it's really important. Um, and I think every business really deserves to have a culture that's surrounded on mitigating some of that risk at the business. So, you know, always looking to chat with more people who are experts in certain fields. Um, I, I, have diff I have lots of different backgrounds, manufacturing, now I'm on e-commerce. So uh, I have lots of different experience, but always looking to chat with people who can offer expertise or creative solutions on control implementation. Um, so always open to expanding my network a little bit. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll put a link to your, your LinkedIn. So, uh, listeners of the show, like, please feel free sure. to reach out to Shelby. Um, I know like in talking to Shelby, she's, she's mentioned that also and, um, like growing her audit network and developing relationships with other people, um, especially so we can like bounce ideas off, each, off of each other. I know there's a lot of, uh, good online platforms also that are, that are kind of out that we can utilize. Um, so I think those are important, but, um, obviously the one-on-one -on -one type stuff, especially you can get through LinkedIn is really good. So, um, yeah, and, and, and it becomes more of an individual basis. So every week I have different challenges and different um, things that come up. So um, all topics can be addressed differently. So sometimes it would be really nice to just have a resource where I could bounce ideas off of like, hey, I found out that this is happening. This appears to be an SOD issue. Can you give me your perspective on whether I should lose sleep over this or let it go? All right. Well, okay. sure. thanks again for coming on. That was fantastic. A lot of, um, I guess, novel ideas, especially kind of from your your, your perspective and what you're doing and being the auditee instead of the auditor now. So I really appreciate your, your perspective and for coming on today. Thanks. This is such an honor. Always happy to share uh, my perspective and very passionate about what you're doing. And I'm, I'm really glad that you've taken the time out and dedicated some of your time to the audit. Thank the you. audit podcast, it's been a very great resource for me. Awesome. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the audit podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.